Hey guys, I'm Megan Smiley and this is The Escape Plan. For those of you who've followed the rules and worked really hard to climb the ladder, but you're looking around thinking, is this it? This is my life? I hear you. You want more. You want freedom, fulfillment, purpose, but you don't see how that's gonna happen in the traditional work world. You're entrepreneurship curious, but it seems daunting, risky, and probably unrealistic. But in this podcast, I'm going to help you see just how possible it is to build a business and by extension, the life that you'll genuinely love waking up to every morning. Hey everyone. So I am super, super excited about today's episode. My guest is Janelle Christian. She is a big law attorney turned interior designer turned business coach, if that sounds (laughs) familiar. Um, We had such a great time talking about sort of the commonalities of our journeys, but um, a couple of things I really wanted to highlight for you to listen to in this conversation is A, how she never looked at the evolution of her entrepreneurial journey as as a failure of anything, but just as an organic evolution and growth of what she wanted to do. Um, And I think that's so important because there can be a lot of angst around picking the right thing. And while I think there are absolutely ways of, of picking the best possible starting point, it's just another example that it's really about getting started that's so important. And she also tells us about how she built her, her businesses out in the open, as she describes it. She posted on Instagram about it as she was starting. And I know that sounds like hideously (laughs) uncomfortable to a lot of people sort of coming out and saying you're doing this different thing and that you're just new at it. Um, But she credits it for sort of her ability to grow really quickly because as she was doing her own learning and before she was even launching, she was establishing herself in this space. And so people were able to say, oh, cool. Is that what you're doing? Let, Let me, you know, learn this little thing from you. And just another example of like, you don't need to have everything like perfectly, you know, sewn up with, with a a bow before you put yourself out there. In fact, I would highly uh, advise against that. Um, So Janelle is so great. And I know that you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I will say there are some uh, audio quality issues or some sort of beating that's happening towards the end. And I'm so sorry. I did everything I could to, to get that out. Um, but it is what it is, and it was way too good of an episode uh, to, to keep from you guys for that reason. So apologies for that, and I will get on to the episode. Janelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you, and I'm so excited to have this conversation. Um, I really want to go deep into sort of your entrepreneurial experience, but I'd love if you could sort of briefly share with us your journey and experience sort of into the law and what your experience was in practicing. Yeah, so I went to law school and graduated in 2014. Um, I was like one of the stereotypically really good students that graduated top 10 in my class. Um, did law review, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so 
when you when you are that type of student, the only path that I even was told about at my school, um, the only path that seemed provided for was to go to the law firm. Um, all my like mentors, that's what they did. Like I, I just didn't even know there was no other way of getting a job. So to me, it was like clearly I take this path plus like money. Cool. Right. So um, I went to a law firm. I also like, I mean, I'm I was so naive. So right. Um, the way I, I was lucky enough to go to Howard in that their OCI process is so unique that you can interview for as many schools as you qualify for. It's not like a score system matching like at other schools. Right. So again, like I didn't understand my value in the marketplace. I applied to every school that came, which was 65 and I got 64 interviews. And oh, at Howard, they, hideous. Oh, it was literally one of the worst weeks of my life. Two days, two days, yeah, still to no. this day. Um, and the um, career center was like, you know, like, we're sorry, but we are not going to cancel any of these because it makes us look bad. Right, so like, right. you have to go to all 64 of these. I was like sweating. I had no fun. Like I had a binder of notes for, because I had to, I had to research every single law firm. Anyway. Yeah. I'm very well versed in all the law firms and all cultures and all the stupid <laughs> stuff. So I ended up going with a law firm in New York, um, which was like kind of my dream. I wanted, I'd always wanted to live in New York and be in New York. So I went to a New York law firm. Plus all my friends were going to New York. So it was like, cool, we'll just go start this new life together. So yeah. uh, went to a law firm in New York and, um, and pretty immediately hated it. Like, mm. I was really trying to talk myself into it and I was really trying to be like positive because I felt like I had worked so hard and like everything I had done, all the sacrifices I had made. Like I watched my friends going out and having fun and dating and getting married and I was like locked up in the library, law library right. for years. So it was like, it felt like I have to make this worth it and I was really, really, really trying to be positive. But yeah. Like I have this little notebook, like a daily notebook that I found pretty recently. And it was like the third weekend. I was like, try not to hate your job so much. It was, it was God. In, in hindsight, yeah. really evident. But in the moment, I didn't understand. It was my first job too, because I went straight through from college. Yeah, I just didn't understand what was going on. But I got pretty sad and I would say depressed pretty quick. Me and my office mate, we were like toxically building on each other. We were both miserable crying in our offices all day long. Like it was just yeah um the number of associates crying in offices should really alarm everybody yeah (laughs) it should and the crazy thing was like people were telling us we were the stars like people were coming to our offices like I know it's hard we can like see you guys are working so hard but like just make it like you'll get through and it's like no this is sick like we're not doing well this is not how work should be this is is not like work doesn't have to be like this right but um so about 18 months in I was like at a breaking point. I don't remember what happened, but something definitely spurred me. I don't remember. I think it was my friends, my, my law school group chat. I would tell them some of the crazy stuff that would happen. And they're like, yo, our job sucks, but it sounds like there's serpents in the wall at your law firm. And something that they said was like, oh no, this is a uniquely bad experience. I'm going to find something else. So I interviewed at some other law firms, thought I was going to just move to another law firm in New York. I told my firm and they were like, hold on, please don't make that decision. And they came back to me and said, we know how much you like DC. What if we just relocate you to the DC office? You'll have some flexibility. You'll be like, I had a lot of friends that lived in DC. Yeah. Um, the cost of living is lower. You have family there. Like, we think you might be happier with that. Does that sound like a solution? And I don't know why to this day I accepted that. 
Honestly, I think it was because I was like dating this guy that lived in DC and I was like, oh, great idea. We'll just get married. That did not happen. But anyway, <laughs> I moved to DC trying to work for my same law firm. It just got worse. Right. Finally, I started going to therapy, which a thousand out of 10 recommend for everyone, but yes. lawyers. Um, and in therapy, I realized like the components of my job and the lack of boundaries and just like all the mental health issues that were contributing to my job being so bad. I decided I was going to move back home. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I moved back home. I got another, what should have been like perfect, perfect, perfect law firm job. Mm-hmm. It was chill. I left it 6.30 or 7 every day. Like no, no shade, but I was like feeling bad because I was working at like 40% capacity and it was at my peers 100% capacity. And I knew I had so much more to give and do. And I was watching them like stress and I was like, y'all don't understand. Almost like y'all don't understand real work. Like this is nothing compared to what I was doing, but still I felt this like miserable feeling and I really hated it. Yeah. Um, so around that time was when I realized like, oh, it, this is like a law firm thing. This is like a, a yeah, the law firm thing. Like there's right. no, even the best fix isn't fixing it. Yeah. So I thought about going in house. I got some really cool, interesting interviews and just none of them were jazzing me. So yeah. kind of simultaneous to this, I started a business on the side. I just, I was doing interior design. I, I bought my own house and I was renovating it and gutting it and like doing all the design work myself, doing all the like layouts and floor plans and like working with all the vendors myself and it was just so fun and I enjoyed it so I like kind of created this side hustle on the side and it started doing really well so within a Can year you talk a little bit more about how that you know it's I totally identify with like loving interior design and and that's kind of how I got into it too but I'm curious like how did you actually go about getting your first clients yeah um okay so I would say I was my first client in interior design. So I am a big advocate of building in the open. So I could tell that in sharing like my process, sharing the design, sharing the drawing, sharing shopping for the materials and sourcing the materials, sharing like everything I was doing in that aspect was creating energy, interest to the point where when I opened it up and offered it to someone, like people had been watching me for four months. So I like, if you aren't able to get your own external first client, you can always make yourself a first client. And then I always say like your network, there's somebody in there who can be a beta client for you, whether it's for super, super, super cheap. When I transitioned from uh, long story short, I started this interior design studio. I ended up quitting my law firm job during the pandemic to now do this full time. And when I quit, it was like every friend I had was like, I watched you build this thing. It was so crazy. Like I have this secret burning passion that I want to make a job. Can you help me? And so I just started helping people and helping people and helping people and kind of in the same way, like building a portfolio now, of now I help people do this other thing. And right. now that's all I do. I, I, ran, I couldn't even do both at the same time. I ended up closing the interior design studio, just coaching. I've been yeah. doing that now for three years. And I tell my clients, like, your first client comes from your network. It's going to be people you know. You're going to do them, like, at a, what I say, beta, like, super, super low price. And right. then we leverage that testimonial to get a higher price. And you keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah, yeah. So I want to dig into so many layers of, of this. But jumping back, when you were doing the interior design on the side, A, did that feel you know, like you had time to do that? And were you doing it 
from the get-go as a, this is going to be my bridge out of this, of practice altogether? Where was your head around leaving the law completely at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So I bought my house in September. We started ripping it apart like this, the next day. And so from September to December was just renovation, building the story, like me realizing I'm falling in love with this thing. Yeah. And then in December, I actually hired a business coach because I, and, and the reason I hired the one I hired was because in all my interviews, I asked 12 months from now, I want to be out of my job doing this full time. I need to make X amount of money to be able to do this comfortably. Like, can you make that a reality? And my business coach was the only one who was like confidently, yes we can do this. Here's the systems we need. Here's what, you know, I've done this for other people. Like, yes, we can do this. It will take a whole bunch of work on your part, but like it can be done. And I mean, down to almost, she got me out a few months early. I joined, I started working with her in December. My last day of practice was August of the next year. So, um, yeah, I, I moved very intentionally. I, I made investments. I, um, like tried to get the support where I needed again, like the coach I hired is really, really good at tech and tech was the one thing that like sent shivers in my nervous system. And so she actually would set up the tech for you. And that was like such a value for me as, as like, that was the one thing that I was really, really afraid of. So yeah, uh, I would say (laughs) unlike what most people do, which is like, let me pretend to be interested. Let me dribble this out and see if anyone's, gonna take on like let me pretend to be real chill and low-key like I was like no I really want this I'm gonna tell like every week I was in my Instagram stories like sharing what my business coach homework was and sharing all the to-do list of like what I was going to be doing to build my business so I was really really vocal about like my efforts in trying to do this and like what I wanted it to be and what I wanted it to look like and just doing that in front of everybody that's so interesting and I think such a valuable nugget because when I work with people like they are scared (laughs) shitless of everything of Of everything (laughs) telling anyone that they're even thinking about doing something let alone broadcasting it um but it seems to me that that your experience and I, I suspect this would be a lot of people's experiences the going jumping in with two feet is exactly why it worked so quickly for you yeah I think so I think it was um again like the building in the open builds momentum around you so like people are watching you do it they're getting excited with you so that when you actually have something to offer like they've been watching you do this and then I think it's the intentionality behind it like yeah I was on another podcast a few months ago someone who had been watching along since I mean the very very beginning I don't know how we found each other but she found my account before I even quit my job she'd been watching me build all my businesses. And she asked me in the podcast interview, like, you know, objectively, someone might say you were a failure, you know, that your first business failed. Like, how did you overcome that? And it wasn't until that moment on that podcast that it ever crossed my mind that my first business failed. Like, you couldn't tell me that. I was so committed, not so much to a specific outcome. Like, I wasn't committed that, oh my God, I have to run into your design studio. I was committed to waking up whatever time I wanted to, to having the freedom to work from wherever I wanted, to have the emotional um, space that like the anxiety of the the job wasn't there anymore. Like I was committed to a life and this business was the way I got there. So it morphed and transitioned a couple of times until it felt really good. But 
yeah, you couldn't tell me it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's so true that I see people getting really caught up about, um, well, what if it's the wrong business? What if it's the wrong idea? You know, this very black and white sort of lawyerly thinking about mm-hmm. about how you do it. And, and and there are absolutely ways to think through about, you know, what a good starting place is. But I love when I hear stories of people going, there's a bigger vision here. And this is just a piece of the puzzle. And I'll work these pieces out. <laughs> yeah. 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 So did you have any angst about leaving it seems like you had gotten very clear on the vision of the life you wanted to lead and that practicing law was not consistent with that. Was that pretty straightforward at that point when you were making these moves or was that a, a process? Uh, it was definitely a process. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think kind of the first thing, the first time I it really even this is going to sound dumb, but the first time I felt like, oh, I have an option here was when I moved to Atlanta, I had to retake the bar again. I moved a year before I could wave in. So I had to retake um, the attorney exam. Yeah. So I took a month off to study. And during that month, I just felt the happiest I felt in my adult life. And I realized then that it was like, oh, um, it's not like, like, going into an office makes you uncomfortable. Having coworkers makes you uncomfortable. It's not this hard work because studying for the bar is one of the most stressful things. And I just like picked up my whole life to move to Atlanta. If I don't pass the bar, like I get fired. We all know how that works. And it's like, it should have been one of the most stressful times, but I was on cloud nine, like just loving my life during the bar. And that was my first like, Hmm, this is weird. I should be questioning what, what, like, why am I crying to think I have to go back to work? Yeah. And then um, the next iteration of that was at the time I was dating this guy who was an entrepreneur and um, objectively he was not smarter than me, but he was making so much more money and living this like amazing lifestyle of freedom. Yeah. And he looked at me one day, well, one day we were on vacation and I, <laughs> we were on a train on the way from Paris to Amsterdam for this vacation for his birthday. And I had printed out probably 300 pages and was like going through filling out these like spreadsheets and analysis and blah, 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 for work trying to get it done before we got to Amsterdam. And he looked over at me and was like, oh, I get it. You're a, you're a glorified secretary. And I was like, excuse me. And he's like, and how like, dare you? Right. Like I am one of the smartest. This is the most elite profession. And he's like, man, you are literally looking for these words on the document and then typing them into a chart. Like you could explain how to do this to a secretary and they would do it. You're just a highly paid secretary. Right. And I just felt that slap on my spirit. It was like, Oh, coming from someone who, again, love, I loved this person, but I knew that intellectually they were not as smart as me. And they looked at my career and said, it doesn't take a lot of brain power. Like you just had to prove yourself to get here, but like, you're not actually like using your brain in this job. And I was disgusted with myself, but that was another huge turning point that I was like, okay, I think I have to get out of this. Right. Um, Right. And then when I started interviewing for in-house jobs and it was kind of like, I was getting incredible opportunities because I was a sixth year when I was at the point of trying to leave. Right. I was getting, like I was eligible for really cool opportunities. I had worked at one of the best real estate law firms. I was like very qualified. 
in right. the area that I was doing and and none of them seemed like they just seemed like extended prison sentences of what I was doing and yeah. I couldn't make myself so that coupled with the pandemic because I think during 2020 I just had this really you know spiritual almost awakening of like death is real people are dying all around us anyone I could die at any moment yeah. do I really want my last day on earth my last functioning day before god forbid I get COVID and have to be rushed to the hospital do I want it to be on the phone with this asshole like right. do I want to be talking <laughs> to this like misogynistic jerk about this document and I didn't I yep. couldn't yep. and then oh then there was the last straw was my law firm now we're in like George Floyd heat yep. of the summer and my law firm just acted a fool and and I just as they are want to do <laughs> yeah I just it was like too many dominoes for me yep. Yep. coupled with again thankful for therapy I had an, another therapist in Atlanta at the time and she really talked me through like the not black and whiteness. I think as lawyers, yes. we all are going to do that very, oh my God, if I quit my job, this is it. This is the only thing. And she really helped me get to, well, if you quit your job, you can always go back. And like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay. How many steps are between now and the worst thing? So like how, how far do we have to fall to get, for me, the worst thing is losing this house I just bought because I am yeah. obsessed with my house. Yeah. And the, the worst fear I had at that point was like, if I can't afford to pay for my house anymore. And she's like, okay, cool. How many steps are between that? And then even if we do get to that point, like how, how do, like, are you really going to be homeless? Like, what does that really look like? And, and I don't know, it just, it, it really comforted me. And to this day, like, I do think that's one of, that has been historically one of my biggest fears, but it's crazy how my perception of myself has changed in this whole entrepreneurship thing. Like I really believe in my ability to figure yeah. things out now. And yeah. even in like kind of hard, difficult, challenging times where I was like, Ooh, things are tight. I do think I was really intentional about preparing for this moment. So something I did and something that we teach our clients to do is, um, I had a really robust savings pool. Like the decision to quit was an equation of saving a minimum amount and then making sure my business was making a minimum amount for a certain number of months. And it was this whole thing that was like, I didn't really make a rash decision. I made a really measured decision when it was time yeah. to quit. Um, and so I, I think there's also a difference in like revenge quitting and like waking up one day. Satisfying like, as that is. <laughs> yeah. Just waking up one day being like, F you. Like yeah. you're only hurting yourself in that situation. Right. But I think. Um, I always say use them, right? Exactly. Them. Oh, you, you know, they think, you know, you sort of feel like you're being used. But if you flip yeah. that and be like, haha, I'm mm -hmm. using you. <laughs> a million percent. And I yeah. think. We're always so afraid that we're going to get, I'm, I'm going on a tangent, but we're always yep. so afraid we're going to get fired. And it's like, when you actually flip it and start underperforming, it, one, it takes them so long to realize that you've been yeah, underperforming. If ever. I had, a yeah. client, I had a client recently who, um, you know, he was kind of like, I don't, I'm planning, I'm, I'm planning my exit. I'm, I'm just kind of like phoning it in. And um, then they offered him partnership. <laughs> he was like, um, uh, that's going to be a hard pass for me. I was actually going to quit. They're like, ooh, please don't quit. He's like, I want to go to California. I don't want to be in Chicago in the winter. 
and they were like, okay, okay, go there. We'll keep paying you. You can work fewer hours. And it's like, we have these stories about what's going to happen. And so often it's just that we've tied ourselves into knots about something that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So I think your initial question, (laughs) I think your initial question was like, how did I, like, how did I make this transition over time? It was way over time. It was like little steps that kept adding up onto each other in the back of my mind, I knew I was quitting. Like I knew one day I would be an entrepreneur, but I really thought it would be four or five years out. I never really thought, like even when I got the coach and she said a year, I was like, cool, she'll get me prepared. And then I'll just save all this money for two more years. But like, I didn't actually think I was going to pull the trigger when I did. Yeah. Um, So I, I just, it really was like a gradual thing, but there's so, if I could make one recommendation, and if you're listening to this podcast, I think that you're already on the right path, but it's like, you need to immerse yourself with people doing the thing you want to do. Like listen to podcasts, um, get on YouTube, follow them on Instagram, read their books, and just like flood yourself with this alternate world that you want, because it becomes so much easier to start envisioning yourself in that world. When I knew I wanted to be a business coach, I joined a business coaching program. I All I knew about this program was that there were other women in there doing the exact thing I wanted to do at the level I wanted to do it. So let me go ahead and join this thing. And did it turn out to be amazing? I mean, the program turned out to be awful, but the women I met were amazing. <laughs> right. And then they introduced me to X, Y, and Z and built this thing up and like have been support for the rest of my entrepreneur career. So like, yeah. just surround yourself with the things. Yeah. And what I also would like to highlight of what you did is you were just in action. Like you didn't necessarily know exactly the timeline or exactly the steps, but you took the action, you got the support and it evolves, you know, but but if you never, if you're always sitting there just thinking about it, you know where you're going to be in four years. Yeah. And a hundred percent of the time for our clients, it happens faster than you think. So like, yeah. I let them. I go ahead and tell me you think you're going to quit your job in five years. Cool. Whatever yeah. you say. But the reality is you're probably going to quit your job in 12 months. Or you're probably going to quit your job in 18 months or whatever. But it's going to move so much faster as soon as you get into action. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And another thing I sort of wanted, I heard that, that I'd like to sort of highlight is this idea that, first of all, you're not, you don't have to do it like you're jumping off of a cliff. But there's also, it's so funny. Lawyers are really smart. Like, no question. Like, it, it, well, most lawyers. (laughs) But um, yet, I I don't know if you find this, but people seem very scared, like they are categorically incapable of learning something new or um, handling the, the, the challenges. And it's like, you're so smart. Of course you can. You have to trust your resourcefulness. But I think part of that is because, um, it's not like we were told you were resourceful, no. which I, I think is exactly what you're, is exactly yeah. the point that I'm extracting from you is like our, our law degrees are degrees in efficiency, resourcefulness, um, uh, just being like really analytical, logical, like it, it qualifies us to do so many things, but because it took so much work and it cost so much money and it was such a, you know, uh, a bar we had to jump over to be able to even get into this educational lane. Like we yeah. think all things of worth or of quality require that same level of sacrifice almost. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. sacrifice isn't the right word, but qualification. 
And so a lot of times we find like our clients will say something like, oh, I want to be an interior, let's use interior design. I want to be an interior designer, but like, I don't want to go back to school. And it's like, who said you have to go back to school? Have you heard of Joanna Gaines, one of the most famous interior designers in the world? She's a communications degree. She's never been formally trained in interior design. Does that stop her? Absolutely not. Target is very happy to take her line and sell it in the stores as is HGTV until she decided she wanted her own television network. So it's like this, like the thing that the telling yourself those stories, like that's where I think having support is so valuable because you don't even realize that like you're telling yourself this story that you need this additional qualification, but you don't realize it's a lie. And I think in the beginning of wanting to do something new, I don't care if it's build a business. I don't care if it's start a personal health journey. I don't care, whatever. In the beginning of doing something new, I am the biggest advocate of getting support because you can't see the lies and the blinders and the biases and like the ways you're making it harder for yourself. So get help in the beginning, then figure it out, try to do it yourself or keep getting help, whatever that looks like. But at least in the beginning point of thinking you're interested, get a life coach, get a business coach, get a personal trainer, like make an investment to kind of ensure you're going to end up on the other side successful. Did you know that I work with clients one-on-one? The podcast is a great place to start on your what should I do with my career journey. And for some, this along with your independent exploration will get you where you're hoping to go. But for others, you may be finding yourself on an endless loop of listening to podcasts for inspiration and researching your options and just thinking, thinking, thinking about what you want to do, but not making any decisions. And others of you may know in theory what you'd love to do, but need some support with both the strategy and giving yourself permission to actually go for it. If you know you want to change, but you're confused or overwhelmed with how to move forward, coaching can be a real progress accelerator. I can help you find the clarity on what you want and through both strategic and transformational work, move you towards that goal. What's transformational work? If the strategy is the doing, the transformation is the becoming of the person who will actually follow through on your vision. Basically, it's how you go from, this isn't really possible, or who am I to do this, to, yeah, this is what I really want, and I'm allowed to go for it. And I I know I can make this transition intelligently, and I can learn what I need to as I go to be successful doing something I love. So if you're tired of spinning and ready to make some real progress, the first step is just to schedule your free catalyst call and we'll see if my coaching is a good fit. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And it's sort of back also to the point of like, it's getting the support and also just looking for evidence of the possible. Like we're so good at telling ourselves, finding all the reasons why something wouldn't work. (laughs) And we need to build the muscle of of sort of finding evidence that the things that we don't aren't on this very narrow linear path to quote unquote success that we've been trained to walk, you know, that these things are also possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit, I love this, I, this sort of the, I see this with, you know, once you're in the entrepreneurial world too, I think it's almost just get yourself in that space and then things become clear, but I'm curious to hear kind of, how you did transition from the design into the business coaching and sort of, you know, it sounds like it was fairly organic, but just was, you know, what was your thought process then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I had no intention of closing my interior design studio. I loved it. I, I just thought it was so fun. It was such a creative outlet. It was so different than what I'd been doing before. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in like an interesting niche of new or first time home buyers. It was cool. I really liked it. Um, so I, I, it wasn't like I was trying to ditch it or anything. I just was living in it and people were approaching me with such volume that I started helping my friends in like small settings. So the first time I ever tried to help someone like start a business, I invited, it was like five or six girlfriends over to my house for dinner. They had all expressed interest. I like invited them over. I said it was going to be like four or five hours, something crazy. Um, And I was like, it's $25. I remember like I was throwing up charging $25 for them to come. And I was going to teach them everything I knew about social media and like starting their business on social media. And just like, I mean, it was even to this day, it was really good info. Um, And so that was my first thing. And I knew like, okay, let me get these six people going. And now I can get a review of what my teaching style was like. So here were these six people who came to my house for $25 and they were like, oh my God, you know, blew my mind in what she taught me. Cool. Now I transition that over to virtual. Like these people came to my house. Now I can help you one-on-one, um, but like over Zoom one night. And this was like more so just open to my friends and like my super small social media at the time, which was probably like 2,000 people maybe. Um so then I started helping people over Zoom who I just knew casually. And like pretty quickly I realized like, oh, everyone's asking the same questions. I'm teaching the same thing every time. I could do this like in a group and it would be, I could make more money in one sitting. Plus I think like people would enjoy it more if they were with other people. Yeah. So then I started offering that same thing as a virtual group and I would get like 10 people to come to that and I would slowly up the prices. And then I forget what I did. I don't remember how I got an email list. I oh, I think I, I think I had like a little self care newsletter, yeah. and I sent it out one day to the email list. Like I'm offering one on one coaching. It's going to be like a three or four month thing, and I don't remember if I told them the price, but the price was like pennies. And here were some testimonials of people I've worked with in the past. If you're interested in starting a business, let me know. I'm I'm like opening it up like free calls to talk to me and like that same day of the calls booked out and I was so blown away like I I couldn't believe that was my experience I couldn't believe people you know most of these people were in my network they knew me as a lawyer and here they are like really interested in trusting me and willing to pay me to teach them this thing that I was kind of like learning as I go yeah and I will like that's my one thing about my program and and helping anyone build a business like you can only prompt like you have to sit down and decide what you're promising people like if you sit with me if you do this thing like what's the end goal I call that like your your program promise right if you have this program promise it needs to be something you feel really confident you can get people a result in so like those beginning stages all I felt confident to do was to help people launch a social media account I couldn't help them start a business I couldn't help them do all these other things I did that. You can ask me that, but like all you're really paying me to do is launch your social media. And then until I got someone to launch a business, then I could say, I've helped someone launch a business, this one person, and I can price myself accordingly because of this one person, but that's all I have. And like, you're, you know, you're signing up for this. And then eventually I had 10, 15, 20 people who had done this. Then I built out a full, full scale program. Now our program is 16 modules, 42 lessons. 
it's been designed by an instructional designer. Like there's so much thought and intention and testing and um, review of plant results and calculating, you know, successes and attendance and like probabilities of, of everything oh, that like yeah. I can confidently say the price of the program is, is a lot because it's it, the value. Like, the value is there. Yeah. 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 So I, I think I, that's, oh. yeah, I just think that's so important is that you don't, you didn't start there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, I think because of the mentality we have, we think we're going to jump from like top of the game in one field to top of the game in another field or else there's no road there. Yeah. And I think that's back to the legal thing. Like yeah. we've been so um, perfection and excellence mm-hmm. trained. Like that, that is, that's yeah. the product we're selling yeah. is perfection. And so you don't want to try and you don't want to put anything out until you, um, until you feel like it's perfect. And that's the wrong way, at least when you're building a business. I can't speak to everything. I can't speak to art. I can't speak to, um, you know, something maybe super, super creative. But when you're building a business, like you, you have to put out the minimum viable thing yeah. and be honest about what, what the result, what the end goal, what the output is, and then just keep getting it better and better and better. Like you fix it in front of people. It's kind yeah. of like, oh, this is a good analogy. I, I'm totally going off topic, but... My therapist always says, like, we worked together for a year. I was in a really, that same person I dated, Amsterdam, turned out to be an asshole. So broke my heart, went to therapy, didn't date anybody for a year, worked on myself so, 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 so hard. And then at the end of that year, my therapist was like, Janelle, not only are you ready to date, but the things that are left, like these things you want to fix about yourself, can only be fixed in the presence of another person. Like, we can't just, like, keep... Um, philosophizing I don't know if that's a word but we can't just keep like you know being really ethereal about your problems like now we actually have to put you out there and see how you do with somebody and see how if you're triggered and how you react to those triggers so like it's kind of the same thing like you can't put out this perfect thing like part of getting better is exposing yourself to like putting the thing out there right right and that really is like that's why there's the strategy part but also like it's I think this is true for anyone kind of going from a traditional um, corporate space in particular, but like lawyers so much so (laughs) that it's just, that's, that feels so uncomfortable and you have to deprogram that, that sort of belief that it has to be perfect out of the gate or else, you know, you won't get anywhere. Trash. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So were you, at that point, did you get just so busy with the business stuff that you decided to let the design go? Or did you just, you realized you liked it more? How did that evolve was, for you? I think it was twofold. One, it was busy. Like it was evident to me that I could scale the business stuff faster and in a way that even more aligned with this like autonomous life that I wanted. Right. It started to feel how um, time demanding and also like, oh, this is a good one, but the design studio really showed me something that I didn't um, vocalize properly in my law firm design period was that deadlines. I really don't like deadlines. I'm and so with you. I'm like deliverables. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so interior design is so deadline heavy so. between your clients and the vendors. And the, there's just so many timelines and so many timelines that aren't even in your control. Yep. And then I also started to find myself like 
I would design things and then my clients would would change it in a way that I was like, I wouldn't, I would never, I would, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. And that started to make me like, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to do it like this anymore. Like if I, I definitely want to go back to it at some point. And when I do though, I want it to be like, I do the whole construction and stage the house and sell it. Like, I don't, I don't want input anymore from people. And that started to be like, I just started to feel myself dreading it a little bit. Whereas when it was coming to helping people build businesses, I was like energized by it and couldn't stop talking about it. And just, it was so exciting. So I think it was two. I think it was, there were parts of interior design that started to feel like, oh, maybe this isn't the right fit, which again, I think interestingly goes to the failure. Like, I guess I could have looked at that as like, I left, I just left my job for this thing and I, and I don't like it either, but I didn't feel that way at all because everything I learned in building the interior design, I just copied to make the coaching business, like the emails, the funnels, the back end, the tech stuff that took me a year to figure out the first time I copied in two weeks and built my coaching program. So like, I don't, and, I, and I don't know if you feel like this, but like I had the very similar experience, but I, I would never have jumped to what I'm doing now from where I was. I had to zero. go through that step because it got like, you you know, the people came to you about building a business because you had built one, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's, it's not a failure. It's just a step on the path. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. I, t- I totally agree. All of the, like, I also be getting into the entrepreneurial space just caused me to do some more like self-reflection and doing like all the assessments. And I did the strengths finder thing and they're like, you have no execution strengths. I'm like, this is a very execution heavy job. Yeah. <laughs> and just owning that and, 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 and um, allowing the things that you really shine in to be what, you know, go with those rather than having someone from the outside deem what is valuable or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that you mentioned, and I totally identify with this, that, that really like the overarching goal and vision for you is a certain lifestyle. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel, and I, I gather from you that you feel that entrepreneurship is sort of uniquely situated to live sort of with freedom and authenticity. Does that feel true to you? Oh yeah. I, um, I struggle to find comparable careers um, that offer the same type of autonomy and, yeah. and freedom. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't, I mean, God willing, knock on wood. I cannot imagine going back to anyone's corporate job, even now where it feels like corporate jobs are a little more flexible and like remote work is more popular for people. Like I can't imagine answering to anybody else. That feeling when I would wake up in the morning and immediately look on my phone and be like, who yelled at me overnight? Who like, who needs something? Who's making the to-do list? It's like, I don't I don't feel that at all anymore. And I can't, I can't imagine going back to that ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's kind of getting out of the, um, the space. You look around and everyone has like a job that looks like yours and you think, Oh, this is the only way to make money. And then you get into this entrepreneurial world and you go, you know, I'm making money and everyone around is, you know, we've been lied to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I feel like. I wonder if that's sort of been your experience. Oh yeah. I think, I mean, we could go, we would need a whole nother podcast episode, but (laughs) I, I feel like going back to school, like the idea of school is to train people to be workers and I mean, little things like why the heck was I up there pledging allegiance 
the flag that's so weird in hindsight yes. it was just teaching me to be like following rules and deferential and weird it's weird in hindsight yes. so I think school started us out on this path and then we get into these things like how law school the only route to get a job that the school provided for was law firms so right. if I, I had to you know figure out on my own if I ever like what the other jobs were and how I applied to them which I wasn't going to do so then like it just was like the next step the next step the next step yeah and then when you're in it there's these interesting narratives that get repeated like in the law firm in particular something that people say all the time is like whenever you start to tell people you're unhappy you hear the feedback is like yeah but all law firms are the same like it's going to be the same when you get there no it's not for like it's it's not it, every law firm is different. Every law firm has a really different culture. There are things that are going to be good. There are things that are going to be bad. But like the thing, if you enjoy the law and you just don't like this one boss or this one timing thing, like you can get a different job with a different culture that doesn't have that thing. And then it's the whole like lie about security and yes. stability. Like I've watched so many people now in recession times or in time like in freezing times like secretly getting laid off and like you're not as safe as you think like your job could lay you off tomorrow they don't care about you unfortunately as much as they want to tell you and call you a family which is weird and kind of narcissistic like you're not my family stop gaslighting me because you'll, my family won't fire me and kick me out the door yeah. and yeah. and then the like security part like the biggest thing when people I don't know why it is but we all have the same narrative that we're afraid to get health insurance when we become entrepreneurs, yes. that it's going to be so hard and so expensive. The first year of me being an entrepreneur, my health insurance was a third of what I paid at the law firm. I don't think it was as good, but thank God nothing happened to me. My Now, I'm a few years in, my health insurance is still cheaper than the law firm, and it's the best insurance I've ever had in my entire life. I have no co-pays. I have wonderful doctors. I got in a really bad accident in December that like really messed up my face. I had to ride an ambulance. I had to get stitches. I had all this yeah. like dermatology, like face construction stuff. I paid $500. That wouldn't have even wow. happened under my law firm insurance. So like yeah. this fear that people have, like if you're hearing this and that's you, please DM me because I will get on the marketplace with you and like help you find insurance that feels comfortable and suits your needs like it's not yes. that hard but there's this I just think that's a great example of this narrative yes. that like secretly everyone gets fed down like it's going to be so hard when you're out there by yourself like it's not it's really not. oh thank you so much for sharing that because I have to say that is one of the number one things that people say to me is mm -hmm. like it's just and it becomes a automatic block I can't even think about this road any farther because it's a it's an automatic block health insurance yeah. period yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah I think it's very much a set of stories about stability and security and what's possible that that you have to um work through and yeah. not let be the reason you don't pursue this yeah yeah so there's a lot of great things about entrepreneurship what would you say is sort of like the most challenging thing for you about entrepreneurship mm. I think it depends on when you would have asked me so yeah. When I was first starting out, I think the most challenging thing was like balancing the anxiety of like, okay, it's on me now. Like I have to wake up and do the work and like the money will come if I do the work, but am I going to do the work? Like 
am I gonna, you know, are we gonna make enough money? Like, can we do this? And that's where I think things like a, a robust savings pool helps because I always have that to kind of fall back on. Like, okay, it's occasional. Even if you don't make the money, like let's say you don't make the money, like you, you prepare for this. So yeah. I think anxiety about money was in the beginning. And I want to be really clear that we think that anxiety about money, and I can only speak for myself. I'm, I'm going to preface this because depending on how you grew up and what your childhood traumas were and what happened in your life, money scarcity might feel differently. But for me, like I thought when I was in my law firm seat that I, coming from a place where I never thought twice about money, that fearing money would be the most painful thing in the world. I can't tell you enough that my money anxiety was not even half of my partner emailing me at two o'clock in the morning asking right. me to go over comments anxiety or right. closing the, the chaos involved in closing a billion dollar real estate bank loan. Like it, it's not even comparable. So like the pain I felt in the law firm was still so much more significant than the pain of anxiety about money. I would still choose this pain over the law firm. Pain. So I want to be explicit there. Yeah, I love that. If you ask me now what my like biggest challenge is, now we're like a company, like we have employees, we have people and like making payroll and not even, not even making payroll, but managing people is really challenging for me. Yeah, and yeah. I stay up. <laughs> You're certainly not taught how to do that as a lawyer. <laughs> at all. And I stay up yeah. at night, like really anxious. If I'm creating the same type of toxic environment that the law firm was, I, I, I just, I really worry about it, that am I the type of boss that people are like talking shit about behind my back or are they like, no, we love Jamal, this is so great. And how do I do that? How do I make yeah. a space? Like I'm, I'm responsible for building this culture and that's stressful on top yeah. of I'm supposed to run this business and shuck and drive and dance on Instagram reels. Like I'm busy. So <laughs> right. I'm like being yeah. a boss yeah. is really, yeah. really, really stressful. If I could, yeah. if there was a way for me to, I love my team. We have a team of seven, like it's big. And yeah. I love every single, I handpicked every single person who works on our team, but it, like if I could go back and somehow like we make the same impact that we're making now just by myself, I totally would, but it's not possible. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't realize that until I got in, like I joined entrepreneurship thinking I could be a lone wolf. I cannot. And yeah. so like the pressure of a team now, I would say is my biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on what your goals and, and sort of you can set up a business to look however you want, but your goals yeah. are not consistent with doing it yourself. I a thousand hearing. percent. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I hear that. But I was thinking about this a little bit before is of course you'll never be that person because you're worried about being the person that would replicate <laughs> a toxic culture. Right. And I, I personally true. just love the idea of all these very conscious leaders getting out there and starting businesses and being the people that are promoting better culture. I feel like it's part of a transition to everything being oh, maybe better than it is now. Yeah, I hope <laughs> but so. I, I, you know, I, I appreciate that, that, you know, you're so conscious of it. And I think that that's, <laughs> that's important and amazing. So <laughs> Okay, Janelle, you sort of mentioned a little bit, but um, I'd love for you to share where people can find you and what your program looks like and how people can work with you. Yeah, a thousand percent. So, well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I should have started with that. That's my bad. Sorry, y'all, if you were confused this whole time about what I do, but 
Um, so we run a coaching program. My business is called Side Biz Smart. Um, and what we do is we specialize in helping primarily and particularly six-figure employees start businesses on the side that they can eventually transition into being their full-time job. The reason we focus on six-figure employees is because you need to build a business in a particular way in order to be able to replace your income in an enticing way to get you away from that six-figure job. Um, and so understanding all the mechanics and foundations that have to go into it on the front end um, is, is pretty imperative. So we... Um, Sorry, just to interrupt you, there's some, something knocking around, it sounds like. Uh-oh, can you hear me now? Okay. Um, I'm gonna start again. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, six figure employees. I think I was thinking that. Well, I'll just start again. Um, we focus primarily on six figure employees because it. Um, you have to build a, a particular type of business and structure it a particular type of way in order to make enough money in your business that it's going to be enticing enough for you to leave. I think there's a lot of yeah. business coaches out there who will en- entice you to start a business and leave and like. You can do that, but you're not going to make, you'll make $80,000 and it's really hard to look at a lawyer making $350,000 and saying like that's enough for you. Right. So that's what our, our program really, really hones in on as like an audience. And we run a really, I would say high touch, high access coaching program. One that I don't know of people getting the same amount of accessibility. Most coaching programs that people join are curriculum based like you will watch modules and then you can submit things for audit and you might get a video back and you have a coaching call once a month um our program is 12 months long we take you from idea to full-time entrepreneurship like we give you everything in between from getting your legal foundations getting your accounting together building your branding launching a website we even give you a website template teach you how to customize it yourself we teach you about social media marketing because it's one thing People really underestimate how hard it is to be a content creator. They really underestimate how hard it is to make content that moves people to a particular action. It's even harder to do that on a consistent basis. So just like learning how to be a content creator for your business, which is unfortunately necessary like in our day and age. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And having someone kind of like hold your hand and give you personalized feedback in that I think is valuable. And, and I couldn't find it when I was trying to build my business. So that and then all the back end stuff, all the tech stuff, learning how to sell, learning how to launch, learning how to get help yourself. Like we, you know, I think one of the main things that I did that helped me get successful in the long term was when I got to a critical juncture of like I need help, but I'm not making enough money for help. We launched an internship program, and our internship program is for course credit, so we're not allowed to pay based on those schools' rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but we built this really robust internship program, so we can get a lot of help. We can particularly in social media and marketing, but like we don't have to pay and we're learning how to delegate in the process. So like teaching our clients how to even do that. So anyway, we run this 12 month program and it has like weekly coaching calls. They get one-on-ones, you know, every other month with me. Um, We bring in guests. We even, you know, I think one of the hardest parts of building a business can be that mindset stuff. So I, I hired a licensed psychologist to run like basically a group therapy session once a month. It's focused on one topic of mindset-ish that we deal with. And so like maybe it's imposter syndrome or perfectionism or anxiety and overwhelm or burnout or toxic positivity. And we talk about that thing. She presents like a really cool like toolkit. We have workbook and then we have like an entire resource library on that topic that's like 
your TED Talks, your articles, your books about this thing that you can always go back to if you're ever feeling it. And yeah. she's like on call to answer questions, kind of like a, an entrepreneur therapist on call. So that's our program. I think it's like, I mean, I think it's the best thing available. And, and that's my, when I think about my value add in the market, like I don't know anybody else that committed to being available to people and giving them the roadmap and showing up. So I love it with all my heart. That is my baby. Um, and if you are interested in it or you want to know more about it or me or our business, whatever, you can find us at SideBizSmart. We are SideBizSmart on Instagram. Um, I think our TikTok is cooler these days. You can find us on SideBizSmart on TikTok. Um, and then the website is www.sidebizsmart.com. And our program is called the SideBizSmart Accelerator. That's what I was talking about. We have a ton of free stuff throughout the year. We have workshops with a bunch of stuff that, you know, resources, just things for people available. So I'd say give us a follow, particularly our Instagram stories is just full of resources and tips we find on TikTok or anything that's going to make business owners uh, better, their lives easier, you know, more efficient, faster. So I think it's a cool resource just to like have in your ecosystem, even if you don't work with us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for Jan taking the time to chat with me, Janelle. This has been so much fun. I These are like things I could chat about all day. And I, I just had a lot of fun. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was, it was such a good conversation. If anyone ever, you know, listening to this is like, oh my gosh, that resonated with me so much. Like, I have a question. Jump in my DMs. I'm, if you ever want to reach me personally, my Instagram is at kjnicole, H-E-Y, the letter J, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. Um, I'm there. I'm answering my Instagram DMs. Like, and oftentimes whenever I'm on podcasts, people will just be like, I felt so seen. And I love to hear that. So please feel free to reach out, whatever, whatever this sparked for you. Just like Megan said, I can talk about this forever. I'm here and available to do so. And I would love to. Well, thanks so much. That's very generous. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thank you.